Hello and welcome to the second episode of Southern Reverend, a podcast from a pastor in Georgia about the Christian faith, work in ministry, and life in the South. I'm your host, Joel Mooneyhan, and I'm the pastor of Community and Spirits Reformation at Atlanta Christian Church in Georgia. Whoever you are and wherever this finds you, I hope that you enjoy listening and that you walk away with something meaningful to take with you. It is the second week of the Easter season, and today I wanted to share with you a passage from the Old Testament about God bringing something dead back to life. It may be familiar to some of you, unfamiliar to others, but it is a message of hope in dire circumstances, and it's part of the groundwork for the whole idea of resurrection. So without further ado, here we go. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down at the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, only you know. This passage is from the 37th chapter of the prophet Ezekiel. It's probably familiar to some of you, and it's dark. Here we are introduced to a desolate, deserted place. To say it's a place of death would be an understatement. It's a valley of dry, sun-bleached bones. Life has not thrived here in a very, very long time. A little bit of background about Ezekiel. He is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. By his own account, his prophetic writing spans about 25 years during the Babylonian captivity. Interestingly, as a man who grew up in exile, he would not have had an official entry into the priestly life in Jerusalem. So he marks his age at the beginning of his writing to signal when it would have begun had he not been in exile. Unlike other prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, who make reference to disciples who stewarded their preaching, Ezekiel's writing suggests that he largely worked alone, and it may very well be a miracle that we have anything from him at all. Stylistically, Ezekiel's writing is brash, offensive, and unrelenting. I often tell people that if we were to translate and read words of scripture in the language and tone of its various original writers and audiences, we wouldn't let some of it be read in church. Ezekiel is one of these writers. So, in exile, Israel faced intense scrutiny from the people in their foreign home. Allegiance to a single God who had, by all appearances, abandoned his people grew increasingly difficult to rationalize and justify. So, they slowly gave themselves over to the gods of Babylon. They gave themselves over to gods who had conquered them and turned their backs on the God who had redeemed them. And yet, Ezekiel's message does not waver. Unlike other prophets in the Old Testament who aim their proclamations at the nation as a whole and their failure to uphold the law, Ezekiel turns his attention largely to the vindication of Yahweh before Israel and the failure of individuals to give Yahweh proper glory before others. In Ezekiel's mind, injustice of all kinds comes out of the abandonment of Yahweh. And the restoration of Israel in Ezekiel's preachings is tied directly to the Shekinah, or the glory of God. 
To turn away from God is to turn away from his glory. And in doing so, Israel has become like a valley filled with bones of long dead things, isolated, deserted, and with no hope of restoration. And so the Lord asks Ezekiel a question. Can anything grow here? And Ezekiel's answer is probably similar to something we might say. Lord, only you know. Now don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that trouble we endure is necessarily tied to faithlessness. We live in a world far removed from what God intended. Evil and tragedy and misfortune can befall anyone, no matter how strong his or her faith may be. But it is important to understand that without faith, it is impossible to see God's glory through the hardship. The troubles of this world are not evidence of God's absence or God's apathy, nor are they evidence of our lack of faith or devotion. They are evidence that we live in a world that is fallen and broken. But even when trouble is unrelenting, there is someone who has the power to restore even the most dire circumstances, to bring life even to the most long-forgotten bones of death. That someone is Yahweh. In the midst of personal tragedy or national crisis, it's more important than ever to remember the faithful glory of God and to lean on the promise of God's redemptive power. It isn't easy, but then nothing of value ever is. And it takes patience, but then things of value always do. It's thought that Ezekiel's writings are part of the groundwork that the later Jewish and, by extension, Christian belief in resurrection is built on. Many, many years later, Jesus of Nazareth would encounter questions about this belief several times. One notable example is at the tomb of Lazarus, when Jesus tells the sisters Martha and Mary that their dead brother would rise again. Now, they took him to mean this idea of resurrection, that as a faithful man of God, Lazarus would be raised with the other faithful at the end of time. But Jesus talks beyond that, speaking directly to their immediate circumstances with a word of hope and a demeanor of true compassion. It's in this story that we read of Christ's deep and resonant anguish over the grief of his friends and is so moved by his own grief that we get the shortest and possibly most famous passage in Scripture. Jesus wept. This is an important detail. Throughout history, religions viewed their gods as apathetic and unconcerned with the troubles of humanity. The gods were cold, distant, and aloof. But that isn't the picture that Scripture gives us of God through the person of Jesus. From this passage, we learn that the sadness and the pain of life are not something that the Holy Son of God is unaware of or unmoved by. He feels it now, just as he felt it then, because he experienced it firsthand. But Jesus would not let tragedy have the final word.
Lord said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Even as Ezekiel stands in front of an abandoned bone graveyard, God asks him to do something ridiculous to call them back to life. On the surface, this is a strange enough thing to ask, to perform a miracle, and to speak life back into death. But deeper still is the hope that this requires, to look at something so lifeless and believe that God has the power to do anything meaningful with it, and to trust not just that God can perform a miraculous sign, but to trust that He will. That is the truly impossible thing. Even harder than performing a miracle is to find hope when it seems that everything else is lost. For Ezekiel, it's the hope that the Lord will once again deliver his people from bondage. For Mary and Martha, it's the hope that even Jesus in his own grief could move in a way that could turn this tragedy around. For you, it may be the fear of the unknown in today's present circumstances It may be anxiety about your job or your finances. It may be the pain of broken relationships. It may be the sickness of a loved one. It could be anything. But there's a desperate need of hope. And sometimes it's hard to grasp on even to that. But Ezekiel does as God commands. And suddenly the bones begin to grow. They're covered with sinews and flesh and covered with skin. And they are breathed new life. And not just new life but life that Ezekiel describes as abundant and great as it had never been before. Then he said to me, Son of man, These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from them, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from them. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. The people of Ezekiel's audience believed that all hope was lost, and yet the Lord shows Ezekiel that he is not finished, 
that his power is still at work, and that those who turn their trust to the Lord will once again have the eyes of faith to see their lives restored and God's glory revealed. The sisters Mary and Martha believed that Jesus' absence meant that their tragedy was irreversible. And yet Jesus comes and shows that his power is ever-present, and that he has the power to reach back even through our worst circumstances and defeats and turn them into victories and celebrations, not just for God's glory, but for our joy and restoration. On the first Easter Sunday, the family and friends of Jesus believed that everything they worked for and hoped for had been destroyed. And yet Christ comes back to show that his will to save is never diminished and his power to redeem is never undone. And I don't know what your present circumstances, wherever you are listening to this. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Christ, or maybe the whole thing seems ridiculous. But if you're in need of hope, what I can tell you is that in Christ, God won the final victory over death. This isn't a promise of prosperity or an escape from trouble here and now, but it is the message that not all is lost, and that Christ will walk beside you through your hopelessness, until you see things brought back to life around you. And like Ezekiel, we who hope in the Lord must be willing to speak to a world that is hopeless and that may look at us as fools because of our faith. But some of those same people are as desperate for a word of hope as anyone else, and it's our responsibility to share that with them. We may look at a world screaming at us that all hope is lost, but God looks to us and says, I will raise you from your graves, I will breathe my spirit into you, and you will live, and you will know who I am. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Southern Reverend. I've been your host, Joel Mooneyhan. I want to give special thanks to my friend Dave Hicks, who hails all the way from Manchester, England, for providing the music on this week's episode. If you want to check out more of his insane guitar talent, you can find him on Instagram at David and the Devil. If you want to hear more from me, including my written musings, visit www.southernreverend.com. You can find me on Instagram at the handle Southern Reverend or on Facebook.com slash Southern Reverend. Thank you all again for allowing me to be part of your listening rotation. I hope you found it meaningful and encouraging. If you enjoyed it, I'd love it if you shared it with some of your friends and helped me get the word out on this new project. And come back next week as we continue walking through the Eastertide season together. Until then, y'all be safe, take care, and be good to one another. If I have to try.